1: And as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the Flatwoods Monster. Just before we get to that, though, I just have to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Cryptids Are Everywhere, for all things that go bump in the night. If you're like me and love cryptids, you'll love Cryptids Are Everywhere. These guys make handmade cryptid products. And you can jump on their Etsy store right now and get 10% off with our coupon, Paranormal Thoughts. I'm going to speak a little bit more about them later in the episode. And just before we get started as well, if you enjoy this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe. Also, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Definitely jump on there and keep in the loop for every time I post and any sort of exclusive content, anything like that, you can find through there. We have a blog, which is Thoughts at WordPress.com. And of course, we're on Patreon as well. So you can jump on there, get exclusive content, episodes early, all that good stuff. It's definitely worth checking out. And also, a massive thank you to Haley Oxley and Sam Glax for becoming Patreons. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting the podcast. And with that, let's get into the episode. Now, I've been interested in the paranormal, I would say, most of my life, right? And cryptids, I love cryptids, personally, and I feel like Over the last couple of years, the interest in cryptids and cryptozoology has just increased massively, right? Because I feel like everyone knows about your very traditional type cryptids like your Bigfoot or, you know, I suppose, depending on where you live, you know, Yeti, Yowie, Skunk Ape, you know, all all those sort of, you know, I suppose, bipedal ape-like creatures, and then you have, you know, I suppose like your Loch Ness Monster, and even Mothman to an extent as well, uh, very large, well-known cryptids. And other than really Bigfoot, I suppose, or, you know, that sort of species, I feel like most cryptids have a very rare sort of cycle of being sighted or, you know, very far in between, you could say, especially something like Mothman, where it was sort of isolated to this 12-month period, and they never really seen or heard from again. with like the Loch Ness Monster too. There's obviously been quite a few reports over time, but in all honesty, it, talking in modern sort of days, nothing. Yet these creatures hold such a high regard and there's so much lore around them and people even still to today will believe just as much as when they were first sighted, you know, and even though there's been nothing for quite some time. But it's, I think cryptids go way further than the idea of people seeing these creatures and then, you know, I guess now they exist. They're sort of the backbone of a lot of these locations and, you know, these small towns or they they definitely have this heritage thing that is actually built into the culture and a lot of it is tourism as well, why people time, time again, go to these specific sites. You know, like specifically when I was in Scotland, I went to Loch Ness. There's a lot of locks in Scotland, you know, and there's a lot of locks closer to Edinburgh where I was staying. But, you know, I did a tour, which was about a 12-hour round trip to a, specifically to go to Loch Ness. And it was the best thing, you know, I think I've ever done. You know, I think going to where these cryptids are originally from is so cool. And it's amazing because everyone there is into it. You know, the locals, even if they don't believe they might sort of play it up or it feels like it's it's a known thing, you know, like they've grown up with knowing about this particular thing. So it's not, it's not odd. You know, you're the odd one out if you don't believe in it or can kind of get around the whole idea of these cryptids. But I feel like I've probably spoken about every cryptid that I am quite versed in, uh, that I know quite a bit about. So everything from here on out, I'm sort of going in with quite some fresh eyes, you could say. And uh, I thought, you know, why not talk about the Flatwoods Monster, another West Virginian cryptid, just like Mothman. And one thing I love about the Flatwoods Monster is how it's depicted. You know, the eyewitness accounts of the monster is a very interesting, very alien-looking creature, and that was the instant thing that really atta- that I, you know, was always interested in with the Flatwoods Monster. And even just the name too; it, it gets its name from where it was sighted in the Flatwoods, uh, in a very small town in West Virginia. This town has less than 300 people currently living there now, like real sort of rural kind of small town sort of vibe, which is great because, you know, it it definitely sort of paints the picture for this uh, story I'm going to go into. But... Other than really the name and I suppose what the creature looked like, wasn't really too familiar with the Flatwoods monster. So I started to dive in and it's always interesting what you're going to get with cryptids. I feel like with the cryptids that I've probably already spoken about and the ones that you know most people know about are probably the ones which are very well documented or there's a lot of evidence, not necessarily good evidence you could say, but there's a lot of sightings and you know, I suppose there's a lot of reports and different, different sort of bits and pieces, I suppose, but with something like the Flatwoods Monster, it was really only spotted once, and it was back in 1952, and yes, there are some other reports uh, after that initial sighting, and even some before as well, that kind of could relate. It's hard to say, but I'm going to speak with that as well, but it is very interesting because this thing has a massive following especially you know if you were to go to the town of flatwoods the amount of merchandise you can find and even just people loving the flatwoods monster you know they they've really given this thing kind of a personality it's it's it blows me away in a sense i love that you know it's obviously a very small town but this is their thing this monster is their town. The whole town is just covered with reference to this monster, which is so exciting and, you know, the perfect reason to go. So the thing with the Flatwoods monster report is there's a lot of contradictions, I suppose you could say, or I feel like because it is quite an old story. As I said, it took place on September 12th, 1952, and I believe there was six witnesses to this initial sighting that's quite a number of people uh, to all see the same thing. Now, the descriptions of the creature were similar, but not quite. I guess you couldn't really come to an exact conclusion to what this thing looked like or, of course, what this thing was. But what I found interesting really was that it kind of just was this one account for the most part. And there are a fair few cryptids kind of like that, really. And especially with cryptids as well, it's, it's an interesting thing of multiple people might see the same thing over, say, a week, but the, the difference in the sightings where something it might have the same sort of height, but then the face of whatever the creature is, is completely different or the way it was behaving or even particularly where it might have been spotted. Something could be spotted, you know, hundreds of miles away and it just kind of doesn't necessarily make sense. But could it be something related or could it just be another weird phenomenon that, you know, for whatever reason has taken place around that same sort of time. Perfect example, once again, is Mothman. You know, there was a lot of paranormal activity that happened within that 12 months uh, back in the late 60s. So it's hard to say specifically, you know, was the Mothman specifically, you know, a part of the UFO sightings and the men in black sort of experiences. Uh, People believe it is. I think it is somehow connected because it, it does, I think it's hard to sort of throw out, you know, coincidence or even particularly synchronicity within those type of events, especially when it's within the paranormal. The paranormal is filled with synchronicity. So as I said, this story has been told many, many times by a lot of different people. And each time I would read it, I feel like a slight detail would change. So I'm going to kind of tell you the story that, I have sort of come to know, uh, and I've also found the original, you know, newspaper clipping online, and was kind of taking sort of uh, quotes that was, you know, because that would have been posted the following day after this uh, experience happened. So I was kind of going off what the original report was, or you know, the older the better for this kind of material because there's just a bunch of little things that change and. You know, not that that necessarily matters, but I think with this stuff, it's always worth mentioning because the way I usually do this research is I'll read pretty much everything I can possibly find and then you know, there's always going to be those little discrepancies, but then I usually go, okay, this particular account was told the most like this, so I'm going to go kind of you know, with that, I suppose. It just makes the most amount of sense, but I can kind of go through this and I can potentially point out some bits that I go, okay, hang on. You know, this was actually apparently reported, but I haven't really come across that a ton either. I just kind of heard that from one source, what kind of have you. But that's the thing with these stories is they get passed down and they change. You know, it's, the, it's just how it kind of goes. And, you know, people might, you know, speak to these witnesses 50 years later, which apparently some people have. You know, they spoke to them quite some years later and the story had changed. How did the story change? Well, I guess their memory of it changed or what kind of have you. But usually uh, it hasn't changed for the better. So let's get into the story, though. So, so on the night of September 12th, 1952, Edward May and his brother, Freddie May, were playing with one of their friends in the local elementary schoolyard. I believe it was around 7 o'clock at night, so it was quite dark at this point, and the boys noticed a large ball of fire shooting across the sky. It appeared that the ball of fire had actually landed, or I suppose crash-landed, on a hill. And this hill resided in the brother's neighbor's yard. The boys rushed back home to tell their mother about what they just saw. And for whatever reason, their mother, Kathleen, thought we should actually go and suss this out. Interesting that she even believed them, to be perfectly honest, but she thought we should go suss this out. She ended up rounding up some other boys from the neighbourhood, such as Neil Nunley and Tommy Hire. Someone else who came along with them was 17-year-old West Virginia National Guardsman Eugene Lemon. And also a dog as well. And I've read reports that it was Eugene's dog. And I've also read that it was the May family's dog. Doesn't really matter too much, but just sort of worth throwing in there. So all six of them decide to climb the fence and I suppose trespass on their neighbor's yard and go suss out what this ball of fire really was. So from my research, what I found out is only one of the children remembers seeing this ball of fire. The other members of the party didn't actually recall seeing the ball of fire, which they believed to have been a UFO. Now, a lot of of stories you'll hear, they actually all apparently witnessed the UFO. But for me doing a little bit of digging, I kind of haven't come across that enough to believe that. All six of them witnessed a UFO that had either crash landed or had landed in the Flatwoods Forest. So as I mentioned, it's quite dark at this point, And between all six of them, there was only one flashlight, which Eugene, who was leading at the front, was holding. Now, it's believed that they stopped next to an oak tree and saw two red eyes, which they believed to be either a possum or a raccoon. They believed it to be some sort of animal's eyes uh, up in the tree, or what it appeared to be up in the tree because it was quite high up, about 10 feet at this point. Eugene raised his torch up to meet the eyes, but it was not met with an animal, but was met with something unearthly. What Eugene saw was a 10-foot monster with a red face and a green body that glowed. The creature appeared to have a human-like build with a rounded face, a key asset of the creature being a large hooded ace of spade type shape surrounding its head. All six witnesses did describe the head of this creature, all very similar. The head is the only aspect of this creature that all six witnesses could kind of agree upon. It's definitely the biggest thing being a red face with the ace of spades shape, hood or whatever sort of part of this creature is. Around its head. Now, the body is the biggest sort of discrepancy. Kathleen and Eugene are the only two to really reference the body. Uh, and Eugene's saying that it gave off this, it was very human like and gave off this uh, green glow. And then Kathleen goes on to sort of describe more so what the creature was wearing, and almost like a cloak that had drapes sort of through it. It, d- it looked like some sort of material, anyway, that this creature was wearing. It also appeared that the creature was levitating, that it didn't actually have legs touching the ground, but it was hovering some distance above the ground. The witnesses also described the monster as having claw-like hands, which I think is a massive attribute to the Flatwoods monster. When you see a picture of this thing, my instant thing I go to is the hands. I think they're just very eerie and very unsettling. Also, after seeing the creature, an odour was in the air that was actually very unpleasant, very sickening. The next thing that happened was the monster let out a hissing noise and actually started floating towards the group. Obviously, at this point, Eugene drops his flashlight and they start taking off. They weren't hanging around to see what this thing was about to do to them. The group arrived back at the May's home and the first thing that Kathleen does is get on the phone and report what she just witnessed to the sheriff. And funny enough, the sheriff was just out looking into a report of a crashed aircraft. So the sheriff left from that location and then went to the specific place in the woods to investigate the group's experience. Now, the sheriff didn't find anything out of the ordinary. Kathleen that night also rang a journalist to go and report the story. And this this reporter's name was Lee Stewart, and he was from the local newspaper. And he went out that night and also the following day. This reporter went out that night and also the following morning as well. Now, an interesting little piece of information here as well is a lot of people report there being tracks left in the ground the following morning that they believe from a UFO. Well, that's what this reporter at least believed. But it turns out uh, it was actually tire tracks from either the sheriff or it's believed that someone else also went out and had a little sticky beak after sort of hearing about what happened and that was left from a car. Uh, And I remember hearing about these odd sort of marks in the ground, almost like a burn kind of mark uh, from originally hearing the story and going, oh, well, that definitely sounds like something unusual being out there, but then you kind of, read into it and it sounds like they're literally just tire tracks. And it's like, I don't think UFOs have tires. Um, So people actually believe that that little bit of information there is actually evidence that a UFO had landed in the flatwoods. And I just would need to say like, that could not be anything further from the truth. So it's safe to say this thing's in the newspaper the next day and it just spreads. You know, I think once upon a time, these sort of stories must have been the most fascinating thing to be published, it just would have been like, what did these people just see? So then some other reports start coming forward. So this report comes from Miss Audra Harper, who not long before that sighting I just spoke about, uh, believes that she saw the Flatwoods monster uh, actually walking through the woods near her house. So Mrs. Harper lived about five miles north of the Flatwoods. And her and a friend were walking to the local store on foot and they were taking a shortcut through the woods. Mrs. Harper and her friend both witnessed the exact same thing that the boys saw with the ball of fire flying throughout the sky and appearing to actually land once again on a hill. The next thing she sees in the forest is a dark, tall silhouette of a man-shaped creature. Her and her friend only got a very brief look at it before taking off in the complete opposite direction. So this next account took place the day after the original event. And this was 20 miles south of Flatwoods. There was a couple in their 18th month son driving, and suddenly their car died. The next thing they noticed was there was a foul smell in the air, and they actually explained it as almost like a sulfur kind of smell, very, very nasty. And before long, they witnessed a 10-foot creature hovering in front of their car. The only thing was that this creature looked reptilian and bony. No longer had the ace of spades shape around its head or the draped kind of cloak. It appeared to be a very different creature, yet still 10 feet tall and hovering. Before they know it, the monster moved on and the car restarted and the couple drove away. So there's two other very brief accounts leading up to the original event and then after as well. So the thing is, though, obviously that last one I just mentioned, the creature sounded nothing like the original creature, other than it being 10 foot tall And I suppose this very odd experience, you know, not too far away from that original experience. Uh, And that other account as well, the woman and her friend walking throughout the woods and seeing this 10-foot creature as well, would most likely be the same thing that our original party went out and actually looked for as well, just due to the size of the thing and so on. Like, there isn't really anything getting around, I'd imagine, in uh, West Virginia that is 10 foot tall. So since this time, this really cemented the Flatwoods Monster in this town. And, you know, you can go online and find other accounts after the fact and so on, but I would probably dismiss majority of them. I think this was very much so an isolated event. I think whatever this thing was, I don't know if it necessarily was meant to be there or be seen, I suppose, because it came and it went really quickly. I just want to stop down for a second and talk about Cryptids Are Everywhere, who have very kindly sponsored this episode of the podcast. Are you looking for a special gift for someone or maybe even just something for yourself? Cryptids are everywhere, make little stuffed friends out of creatures hiding in the deepest, darkest places. Each plush is handmade with care and ready for adventure. I gotta tell you, if you're a fan of cryptids, they've got some of your favourites ready to go. From Mothman to the Flatwoods monster, you can have cryptid sightings every day. And the best thing is you can receive 10% off any future purchase with the coupon code Thoughts by visiting etsy.com slash shop slash cryptidplushies or check out Cryptids Are Everywhere on Instagram. And, of course, all those links are going to be in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much to Cryptids Are Everywhere. I love the products they're producing. They're super high quality. And, you know, it's perfect because we're talking about the Flatwoods Monster here today. You can literally go buy yourself a Flatwoods Monster plushie, which is just, you know, for someone like myself who it's kind of hard to buy for, but anything paranormal... Uh, I could literally send people this link and go, this is what I want for Christmas. This is this is my next birthday. So best thing is they're so kindly enough gonna give you a 10% discount as well. So definitely go check out Cryptids everywhere. Now back to the episode.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
2: They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft.
1: Something interesting that happened was that original group of six who saw this creature all fell ill that night, either with their throat swelling or even Eugene actually throwing up throughout the evening. So whatever they saw uh, or whatever they experienced even had some sort of effect on their health. Now, researchers have gone on to say that this could be from fright, I suppose, but the fact that all of them were unwell that evening, like surely fright wouldn't, I suppose, have the same effect to all these people. Uh, you know, who saw glimpses of the same thing. It doesn't really add up, in my opinion. So that's something that's very interesting, you know. Uh, If we're going to go off, you know, what they are telling us, that they all did fall ill, I find that pretty interesting. And even the thing of them saying they smelt an odd smell as well, that could definitely have to do with them feeling ill. Then even the couple the following evening in their car saying that they smelt an odd kind of odour as well, that could all be somehow related also. So what was the Flatwoods Monster? Well, is it even a cryptid, I suppose, because the way the story kind of sounds is that it's some sort of extraterrestrial, really. The idea of seeing the ball of fire shooting across the sky, it kind of leads to the idea that that potentially could have been some sort of UFO or craft. The description of the creature sounds somewhat alien as well, also, and even especially the uh, the couple who saw it the following night who described it as being very reptilian, which we do know that there's a bunch of uh, reptilian-type species of extraterrestrial that people have reported seeing. Whatever it was definitely has a very unique description and unlike anything I think that has ever been cited and, you know, even since then too. So it's it's very interesting. I suppose you get got to look at, at that time, you know, it's the early 50s, space, it's a space race uh, you know, extraterrestrials are kind of very a hot sort of topic for comic books and movies and so on. Like it's it's definitely on people's minds. So I, I wouldn't go so far to say that these people, you know, were unfamiliar with, you know, the sort of pop culture thing. Uh, maybe not so much, I suppose, UFO abduction, I was sort of down that sort of path, you know, where we sort of know it to has sort of evolved, you know, over the 60s and 70s and so on, you know, because this is prior to that. But um, definitely... The traditional like, black and white uh, or comic book type view of extraterrestrials would probably be very familiar with these kids' minds and so on. But regardless, though, what they did see and the fact that they all did see the same thing is very fascinating. So let's look at some more of the sceptical explanations, right? So it's believed that that ball of fire was a meteorite. Apparently meteors were spotted uh, kind of all across that part of the country over that night. But regardless, what was this monster then? So it's believed the most rational explanation is that it was a barn owl that was obviously up probably about ten feet in the trees. You know the eyes from the torch would have had eye shine and reflected maybe somewhat of a red color. Uh, if you look at female barn owls, they actually have more of a darker kind of red in, just in appearance kind of face, and they're also bigger than the males as well. So they can actually be quite a decent size, like not, you know, not like 10 feet tall, obviously, or, uh, or anything like that. But, you know, they do have sort of menacing eyes, as I just mentioned, the female barn owl having somewhat of maybe a similar description and colour. And even the head, if you kind of look at the head of a barn owl, it kind of does have a similar sort of thing to the ace of spades, a little bit, you know, I, guess, I suppose the sort of the bottom corners, you could say. So at a very quick glance, yes, this could have been an owl. But I feel like six people all seeing an owl at the same time, surely one of them would have had that reaction then gone, oh, hang on, we're looking at, you know, a bird right now. We're not looking at a creature that is moving towards us and, you know, apparently looking like it's floating and so on. I think... In in one way, uh, I think yes, an hour would be the rational explanation for it. But then to discredit what these people saw, if they are you know telling the truth, I think that is doing you know, a massive, uh, massive injustice for what they witnessed. Because obviously, what they did witness did seem to cause quite a bit of trauma. You know, the fact of uh, either falling ill after seeing it, or you know, just I suppose living with the idea that this thing could actually be out in the woods, especially if other people did start to see it and so on. And, you know, I suppose they're probably like, what, what, what is this? What's its purpose? Like, they weren't hanging around to, you know, figure out what was about to happen to them. I feel like both ideas are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, it's trying to say an owl, you know, was misidentified for something that looked inhuman type alien creature that's 10 feet tall, red eyes. Like, they are massively different. And, yes, it's more likely that they did see an owl, but in saying that, the description is still so wildly out there that it doesn't really add up that it could have been an owl either. Even, you know, I guess you look at, potentially though, you look at that, the idea that it had these kind of claw-like hands that could have been, you know, the the uh, owl's talons sitting on the branch and so on. Like You can start to really connect these dots. But regardless, did six people misidentify a barn owl, something that is very common in the Flatwoods area. Another thing that sort of does go to, I feel like I'm very much so jumping backwards and forwards here, but I'm just trying to give you guys, you know, all the facts, I suppose. But owls actually do make a hissing sound like that was described that the creature made. Have a listen to this. See, now, if you weren't familiar with that sound, that is pretty terrifying. But the thing is, owls are very common in this particular area. You know, Kathleen being an adult and living in this area, I'm sure she would have heard an owl hiss or screech or seen owls. You know, it's, it's not an uncommon thing uh, for these people to witness, you know. So to really say six people misidentified uh, an owl doesn't really make a ton of sense. I don't think it was, though. If, if if these people are telling the truth about what they saw and weren't trying to, you know, f- make this fictionalised story, then yeah, sure. But here's another little thing that I, don't f- I haven't found anyone else sort of has touched on with this uh, story that I've sort of come across in my research. When they all got back to Kathleen's house and she decided to ring the police, you know, to report this experience, she then also rung the local newspaper. Why? She obviously wanted to get the story out. Is that what someone thinks to do straight after having an experience? Anything like, well, you know, even if you get into an accident or anything kind of happens, you know, and I suppose your initial thing is to ring the authorities, is the next thing to do is to alert the press, alert the media, you know, get get a story kind of written about this? Not usually unless you have a agenda, I suppose, attached to that. And I'm not necessarily saying that they did have an agenda, but it's an odd thing to do in my opinion the night of um, after you've had this quite traumatic experience seeing this creature out in the woods I don't know it doesn't completely add up to me It does. I don't think it helps the case of you know this actually being a legitimate experience that these people witnessed and you know because that's the thing We've, everything that we sort of cover on this podcast it's all down to eyewitness accounts and you know if these people have reason to be dishonest and to fabricate and so on well then that, that's all we can really go off. And I think it's good to really try to figure out whether they may or may not have a reason. And, you know, they definitely became household legends. Like, this has built the whole town's... This is this is part of the town's DNA, you know. And then then considering, you know, a decade later with the Mothman as well happening in a similar kind of vein, but, you know, that, that really took off and became a massive thing. And I think there's way more... Uh, legitimacy around Mothman. To be perfectly honest, I think just with the amount of um, case, the amount of sightings, and the strange, the whole strangeness of that, this is literally like a one-off. Really, you know, other than, you know, I, I suppose three different parties saw this thing within twenty-four hours, but no one really got a clear glimpse enough that everyone went, "Yeah, that's exactly what I saw." Because it's like, oh no, like it's it's slightly different. Or, or I didn't get a close enough look, so we really don't have a ton to go off. I feel like this is probably more of like an urban legend that's really just sort of grown into its own thing. But, you know, I always come back down to, you know, even, even you know, you guys know I've become more and more skeptical over the time doing this podcast. And, you know, and I love to believe in this stuff. And once again, I'm like, oh, man, if the Flatwoods Monster actually did exist and, you know, it happened all those years ago, I'd be the first one you know, want to know about it you know like i'd love it but um maybe this is one where it's you know maybe fabricated and that has sort of blown up to more than ever could have been but regardless let's just for a second believe that these you know these original sightings uh they're telling the full complete truth they have no reason to lie about it but even as i said it's kind of weird that uh they went and you know checked out where they believe this uh, ball of fire to land, just I feel like often when these experiences happen, parents just kind of brush it off and they don't go and suss it out. Or even the fact that they had to sort of like jump a fence and go, you know, trespass into this guy's, their neighbor's yard and so on, like on the neighbor's property. It seems a bit like they really wanted to go suss this thing out, which you know isn't often a usual kind of a reaction to your kids coming and being like, I just saw. Maybe a UFO land, like we should go check that out, you know. But it's, I don't know, It maybe that does sort of then play into maybe it's all a part of the story that, you know, was being fabricated or so on. It's, It's hard to know. But regardless, as I was just saying, let's just pretend, let's just go off the idea that this did happen, what these people saw was what they saw, right? Well, that can't be explained, you know. Yes, as I said, maybe with the owl and so on, but I think... Hands down, maybe if two people had misidentified an owl, three, oh, I'm pushing it, but six? I don't know. Like, that's pretty hard for me to believe. And as I said, yes, is it easy to believe that it was an owl or this, you know, an alien, I suppose, or this monster? Um, yeah, I think you know which one that is. But in saying that, I think it's pretty hard to misidentify something uh, to that sort of extent, even if you do see it very briefly, I think um, I think they would have gotten a good enough look to figure out that's not a bird at the end of the day. You know, this is something else. This is the Flatwoods monster. But what do you guys think? You know, I find cryptids very interesting, especially the Flatwoods monster. I did really enjoy getting to really learn about this cryptid and so on. And at the end of the day, I'm not 100% sure where I sit with it, but I think they definitely saw something that was very unusual. It definitely built something far bigger. It's definitely the reason that town is, you know, we know about it. We No one would know about Flatwoods of West Virginia otherwise if it wasn't for the Flatwoods monsters. So I think it's done the town a lot of good and hence why I was still speaking about it today. If, if it didn't have this massive kind of lore around it, you know, I wouldn't be talking about it with you right now we would have just been completely forgotten about like you know a lot of lesser known cryptids and so on who don't really get the time or the limelight I suppose but unlike Flatwoods Monster who really was only spotted kind of like that one time to that sort of massive story and description um, you know 60 years ago and yet here we are talking about it right now you know and trying to figure out did they actually see a monster or was it something a little more explainable but regardless i think it's a lot of fun and i hope it exists i I really want to believe that the flatwoods monster was at one time out in west virginia so thank you guys so much for listening and of course thank you to our sponsor cryptids are everywhere definitely go check out their stuff and remember to use the coupon code paranormal thoughts when you check out thank you so much guys i'll see you in a podcast episode real soon thanks bye